Welcome to The Basin Conspiracy. I'm Inyash Brodsky. I'm Steven Zuber. And today we have no Jay Sticky, but instead we are joined by Velcro. Hi. Hey. Hello, Velcro. Uh, we, well, we'll get into what we're going to get into after we're done with the less wrong posts, because we always do the less wrong posts first, and Velcro is happy to join us for them today. Yes. So let's dive right into that, shall we? Yeah. So that sounds, or unless we want to say like who Velcro is before I forget between the sections. Oh, that's a good idea. Velcro, Velcro is on the he, Discord, but uh, yes. anything else you'd like to say or uh, I guess add? I'm I'm here because I heard some things in the last few shows that as a parent I didn't disagree with, and you guys graciously gave me an opportunity to to give my point of view on on those things from a parent. So that's that's cool. awesome. why I'm here. Super into it. Wonderful. Okay, so the less wrong posts. The first one is why are individual IQ differences okay? And before anybody starts worrying about, you know, how this is going to go into uh, touchy territory that will um, brand us intellectual dark web, uh, Eliezer does say, a great deal has already been said about the Watson affair, and I I suspect that in most respects, I have little to contribute that has not been said before. And uh, so he doesn't really touch on all that uh, more, I don't know, controversial stuff. And I am very happy about that because I also have no interest in getting into any of that but uh before we continue any any of you guys have comments on that um i mean i, I it's funny that you're worried about intellectual dark dark web stuff you know we we can talk about whatever but i, I hear it like it's just more like it's already hashed boring material but yeah. the the watson affair remind me so james james watson was one of the guys who worked with uh francis crick and discovered the double helix structure of dna right yes double prize winner and what was, the affair was like him saying that he suspected there were IQ differences or was he just like a flat out racist? I can't even remember. I have no idea about what his opinions on race um, are, but he did say that he thinks it's, I don't remember the exact quote, like it's undeniable that there's differences between uh, uh, of average IQ between the various races, something along those lines. Ah, he said, what looks to me in a self looks like, let me find it. It's uh, because this is linked in the less wrong post. He said what looks to me like a self-evident truth. He told the Sunday Times of London in an interview that in his humble opinion, black people are less intelligent than white people. Oh, Interestingly, Jesus. this is from uh, what looks like a somewhat straightforward or like a prestigious looking website, but it capitalizes white, but not black. <laughs> that's first of all, stupid and ridiculous, but also, oh my God, that statement sounds incredibly racist. Yeah. Like, I, it, I, it, it, doesn't, it doesn't even sound like he's talking about averages among populations it just sounds like he's talking about individual people right well based that, on that think, wording yeah that wasn't a, that wasn't a quote that just said uh like this is what he said uh so it wasn't like quote unquote but i don't sorry i don't have the original quote i'm looking in the comments and in the comments somebody says that what he said is he's inherently gloomy about the prospect of africa because all our social policies are based on the fact that their intelligence is the same as ours whereas the, all the testing says not really so it's not quite as, as pardon the pun, black and white. Um, <laughs> the commenter says technically he didn't even say that it was lower, but I think that's a pretty clear implication. <laughs> yeah, he's, he's gloomy for the prospects of Africa because their average IQ yeah. is higher. Yeah, um, saying the and they're implementing shows, policies made for stupid whites. <laughs> yeah, he's saying that the testing shows that the people of Africa, their intelligence is not the same as ours, which is not right. a good No. No, indeed. I, uh, what was I going to say? Um, 
Shoot, I thought I had something for this. Uh, oh, you said pardon the pun. You never have to pardon puns on this show, sir. Oh, you have to pardon every pun. Thank you very much. <laughs> Not while I'm here. <laughs> Stephen and me have a I, long history of disagreeing about how puns should be handled in, in the world. If, if I ask for pardon, it's from Inyas, not from Stephen. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Oh. oh, man. I mean, I, I don't... I don't know. I, I hate to say that he's not wrong because, again, it sounds really racist, but like... It, there could be many reasons that they test uh, worse than than white people, and why those tests would matter for the implementation of policies. Yes. Yeah. Oh, I guess a uh, quick thing. Oh, I have a hard stop in two hours, so okay. Um, we can, I that's just a heads up because I already told Inyash. But um, all right, jumping back into this. Uh, yeah. I I I guess I'm curious. Have either of you guys ever taken an IQ test? Uh, I've taken an informal one administered by my high school sociology teacher. Uh, So nothing super formal. And then another one that I took, uh, I believe, gosh, I don't remember where the second setting was. Again, it wasn't a formal one. They both gave the exact same number, which I found uh, interesting. But it's not formal enough then. Yeah, I don't know. Um, What about you, Velcro? I took one, I think, when I was in elementary school or something. And I don't, I did not see the results. So it's been a while. Yeah. I, yeah. I the reason I ask is because I mean, I, I've taken at least one and I think that uh I I I I'm hedging on how to put this without just completely shitting on the test entirely, but I'm not convinced it's it's testing for anything with any reliability. Like there there's obviously a trend, right? Really smart people do well on this test, mm-hmm. but I like I know people who are bad test takers who are really really smart just not like honed at taking timed tests and uh this it i I guess i'm not convinced that uh you know if if you were to get solid numbers that proved uh people over six feet tended to be five iq points higher than average or people with brown hair were 10 points lower than average like that would be interesting especially if it was you know random things like that but I never found the, the IQ test all that compelling of like testing anything super interesting. You know, it tests yeah. if you're a good test taker. And it's the kind of thing where it, you can practice at it and get better. Exactly. And th- that strikes me as, as uh, you know, it, it raises my, my sus radar. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you can certainly get a few points better. But I don't know. So on the one hand, it's undeniable that smart people will do better in general, uh, even if it's not like a hard one-to-one correlation. And... Uh, also, that in our Western societies, anyway, scoring higher on an IQ strongly correlates with a lot of uh, life outcomes that are considered better. So it's testing for something. Uh, I'm not sure what exactly, but intelligence is somewhere in the mix. I consider it kind of like a fuzzy tool. It sort of like shows general implications. Like it would be less of a measuring tape that tells you exactly how many, you know inches down to the quarter inch tall you are and more like yeah this guy is more or less taller than that type of tree or this guy is more or less shorter than that type of bush but uh without being super specific and with, that, with having lots of error maybe it's like measure or weighing someone and say well generally speaking have people who weigh more are taller yeah yeah but that's about all you got it, it, and your yeah, weight that, changes from day to day depending on circumstances yes and if you're from a society where food is plentiful, you're going to weigh more and vice versa. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I, I only bring all this up because, and maybe I can dig in and there's some actual hard research on this, but I never found IQ, like, oh, look, IQ test shows this or that. 
I never found those that, that all that interesting or compelling because I don't think that it's testing for anything all that exciting. But maybe I'm just uh, maybe that's been controlled for and I'm I'm missing the mark. Maybe oh, I've I taken only crappy IQ tests. I agree with you. The one I did take said I was smart, so it must have been a bad test. <laughs> I do think that like if you could implement some sort of policy that would raise the average IQ of a population by seven, eight points, like, I don't know, removing lead from the air or something, that <laughs> that would have massive implications for a society because that's, yeah. that's a lot of IQ. And even, you know, it's just sort of like a running average of kind of everybody, but it, it really adds up if you can get an entire population to be, you know, just a notch smarter. I, I guess in some ways... Yeah, that's, that's a... Go ahead. No, no, please. Sorry. We're, uh, all, we're doing this remotely, by the way, everybody. So if yeah. uh, there's some talking over each other, that's that's why. I kind of look at it. latency. Yep. Uh, kind of like the, the SAT in that if yeah. you could raise everyone's SAT scores by, by 20 points, you might make society better, but it might just be people who do better analogies if that's still on the SATs, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah. And SATs are often used as a proxy for IQ scores because apparently they both measure the same type of intellectual, I don't know, muscle. Yep. And I can easily imagine that if you gave SATs to people in Africa, they would not score as well as high school students. Uh, yeah. yeah. All right. So that I just wanted to, to hobby horse against my, my feelings on IQ tests for a second. So now we can keep going with the podcast. Thanks for indulging me. Mm -hmm. oh, no problem. Um. So what were we? Okay, uh, the Eliezer's main point here is uh, what he gets. I, I pulled this quote: "Why is it that the rest of the world seems to think that individual genetic differences are okay, whereas racial genetic differences in intelligence are not? Am I the only one who's every bit as horrified by the proposition that there's any way whatsoever to be screwed before you even start, whether it's genes or lead-based paint or Down syndrome?" Uh, he later says, if God has not given intelligence in equal measure to all his children, God stands convicted of a crime against humanity, period. And I think that's the main thrust of this uh, essay that people seem to think, say, or or feel anyway, that like, yeah, it's okay for some people to be really smart and others to be kind of dumb. That's just the way life is. Maybe it's not okay, but like, whatever, it's it's how life is and we have to accept it. But when uh, someone says that populations might have different average IQs, they instinctively say, no, that is horrific. You can't even possibly say that. How dare you? Uh, but when someone says like, yeah, my brother is quite a bit dumber than I am uh, because of this and this reasons, they're like, oh, well, yeah, that happens. As opposed to jumping mm -hmm. on the person being like, how could you possibly say that about you know another person, especially your brother, that he's dumber than you? That's not okay. And you know, I, I kind of feel like in terms of what it what things we should be morally outraged about, I'm on Eliezer's side here. It's been a long journey in my life to come to this reckoning where life is just inherently unfair and we're fucked before we're born in some ways, and it really sucks. And uh, and I'm glad he's here to remind me every now and then that reality is not okay and it does suck, and we do have to kill God and fix things. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, IQ aside, the idea that people aren't born with differences that matter is is um, nuts, right? Like, yeah. it, it sure would be nice, um, but I, there are congenital um, heritable illnesses, right? Mm -hmm. uh, th th it's there's just a, a luck lottery that makes the world an entirely un unfair place. Exactly. Yeah. So, what else is uh, in this post? Sorry. 
Uh, he does say that it's obvious what different skin color makes politically. However, just because this attitude is common should not cause us to overlook its insanity. Some kind of different psychological processing is taking place around individually unfair intelligence distributions and group unfair intelligence distributions. A group injustice has no existence apart from injustice to individuals. It's individuals who have brains to experience suffering. Uh, so, yeah, more more basically along the lines of it's not fair that individual people are fucked and let's not forget that. Right. Yeah. I, like I, I saw that as um, it's, it's terrible that individual people are treated unfairly, but there's no, that's true on so many axes. Why focus on race? Yeah. Well, and especially uh, suggested IQ differences. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, yeah. Uh, I, I like how you put it, you know, um, God is convicted, stands convicted of a crime against humanity. Yeah. Uh, I like that. Yeah. I often feel this way about um, the sexes. Like I was raised in the very 90s like there's almost no difference between the sexes kind of thing except for upper body strength and like as i've grown older older and noticed more differences i think it's really fucked up how how evolution has has bifurcated us like this where mm -hmm. the the males are just like inherently stronger and more aggressive and and the women have to live with these monsters around them and i'm i'm not happy about it and i think it really sucks and that is one of the things that we should fix because it's really not fair just to have half the population be be underprivileged in physical strength like that and the other half to have this aggressive tendencies that makes life terrible for people. Well, fortunately, I, I think mean, that sounds almost as sweeping as saying that people from Africa are less intelligent than people not from Africa, but point taken. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, in an average of the populations kind of way. Yeah. Not every individual person. <laughs> it's fortunate that we have not evolved, but... Uh, Culture and technology has evolved to the point where that physical strength is not as big a factor as it was hundreds or thousands of years ago. Yeah, that's true. But there's still, I don't know. It's always my, still, uh, my still partner, situations. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. My partner, Charlie, now often has to carry um, some heavy things out to her car as part of her job. And whenever it's like here at home, I try to help her out. But, you know, I'm not always there. And, and it sucks. And I just feel like it's, it's some bullshit, man. Yeah, yeah. All right, anyway, so life's unfair and that sucks. What else? We yes. <laughs> let's yeah. fix, let's fix everything. Uh, the next post is motivated stopping and motivated continuation. Uh, Steven, did you want to start it with anything here? Um, yeah, sure. I mean, uh, this is the, um, the tenants, uh, this can be summed up in a sentence that I like that Julia Galef uses a lot, especially in her book, uh, the skeptic mindset or excuse me, the scout mindset. Um, a motivated skeptic asks if the evidence compels them to accept a conclusion, and a motivated credulist asks if the evidence allows them to accept a, a conclusion. Mm -hmm. Like, if you want to believe something, you ask, can I believe this? And if you don't want to believe this, you, you ask, do I have to believe this? Yes. And yeah, he, he says that this is, this is an analogous with a thing he calls motivated stopping and motivated continuation. Uh, the fact is that gathering evidence is a costly procedure. It takes time, it takes effort, and uh, lots of times you have to make the decision, do I keep looking or do I stop here and make a decision? Uh, the, the example he gave is like when you're looking for a house, you do not have the time and ability to look at every house that's on the market and compare them all. After a while, you have to stop and be like, okay, of the last four houses we saw, what do we do? Um, I guess car shopping is the same kind of way. There's there's a lot of things like that. Finding a mate is that way. You don't have time to date everybody in your city. <laughs> uh, and the the question is whether or not to keep looking for evidence 
And lots of times people have like sort of a hidden bias where if they don't want to accept their current conclusion, the way the evidence is pointing, they're like, okay, I'm going to keep looking because maybe they'll find something that allows them to change their mind. Whereas uh, if you are at a conclusion that you like, maybe you haven't done enough looking, but you want this conclusion to be true. So you're like, okay, I'm going to stop here. It's not worth continuing to look for evidence. And uh, he calls that motivated stopping and motivated continuation, where you're kind of skewing the things in your favor by deciding when to stop looking. Yeah, I like that. And I I also, uh, oh, wait, this actually ties into the next post, so I'll hold off. Go ahead, Velcro. Yeah. um, I just thought this was interesting because this is one of those things that when you read it, when I read it, I say, oh, yeah, of course that happens. That's obvious. But by reading it in this format, it makes me try and realize when... I'm actually doing it myself. So that's that's kind of what I like about the sequences. It might be something I thought of before, but not as something that I do. So Yeah. Yep. And he does give the warning that motivated continuation can try to disguise itself as virtuous rationality, because who can argue against gathering more evidence? Which, you know, it's, it's a good point. More evidence is always good. At least I thought. But I, I guess there's well, a point you, where it's silly. You, well, you have to, you know, be careful with higher practice in the art, right? Yeah, yeah. All right, and that brings us to a case study of motivated continuation. This actually came after the post Torture or Duspects, which we did not cover here because uh, about a year and a half, two years ago, we did an entire episode about that one post since it has been uh, controversial, to say the least. Uh, but basically, the the question was a utilitarian, utilitarian calculation. If a infinite number of people were to get a dust speck into their eye, which caused them a momentarily amount of pain, uh, would that be better or worse than one person being tortured for 50 years? Because the 50 years of torture cannot in total add up to how much pain is experienced by basically an infinite number of people getting that dust speck in their eye. And uh, this post was a follow-up to that one. Yeah, I mean, uh, I guess jumping into it then, the... the he he kind of jumps in just um, railing on bioethics, which yeah. uh, maybe I've just been steeped in this too long, but I haven't heard a good thing about bioethi- bioethicists in a long time. But I think it is the, uh, I don't want to say stated conclusion, but the consensus among the community that bioethics is just an annoying field that slows down important stuff. And uh, the example he gives is like, okay, well, you know, if you're a bioethicist talking about stem cell research, uh, you know, you might stand up there and give a talk and and then gravely declare that more debate is urgently needed with participation from all stakeholders because that's nice and non-committal. Whereas if you say we need stem cell re- uh, science, medicine, um, then you're pissing off every religious fundamentalist out there. And if you say, oh, no, we can't work on stem cells because that's that's wrong, then you piss off everybody who stem cells would actually help, which is a lot of people. So you, you, you instead make the nice, safe call to... Uh, to to more debate, which who who can argue with that, right? <laughs> yeah, the, uh, uh, yeah. I guess th- this other part that I was thinking of from the last one, which was I just liked how you phrased this, the bit about uh, Darwinism versus creationism. I haven't heard it. Darwinism is a term I haven't heard since the days of the New Atheism. Mm-hmm. Um, but he says, consider the issue soberly and decide that you need more evidence. You want archaeologists to dig up another billion fossils before you come to a conclusion. That way, you. Uh, you neither say something sacrilegious nor relinquish your self-image as a rationalist. Keep on doing this with all issues that look like they might be trending towards an uncomfortable direction, and you can maintain a whole religion in your mind. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, he, I think, I'm not sure if this is the first time I heard the phrase, but he says that real life is often confusing and we have to choose anyway because refusing to choose is also a choice. Yep. Uh, he quotes someone who said refusing to choose is like refusing to allow time to pass because, yeah, you're doing nothing and that has consequences too. Mm-hmm. Um, I know I'm an engineer and in engineering, sometimes you have analysis paralysis, which is just keep mm. trying to get better numbers to make hundred percent sure that you're doing the right thing and you're never going to get to hundred percent. Yeah. And in the meantime, the status quo prevails basically. Yep. I like the phrase. I've always liked the phrase analysis paralysis. I have a coworker who struggles with that a lot and it's, it seems like it drives him nuts too, but mm-hmm. um, not, not even just work stuff, but I mean, he, and this isn't exaggerating. He spent like a month trying to find the right coffee table, six months looking for the right glasses. And, you know, I, I get glasses at least are a, solid investment because they're kind of like part of your face, but you can always get two pairs if you really can't pick between two. And also like, what is he doing in the meantime? I, I didn't even know he needed glasses. <laughs> he <laughs> was walking like, around with no vision correction. Well, he was, I, I don't know if he wore contacts or what, but um, you know, at the very least he was walking around his, his apartment, you know, working from home, but uh, maybe he didn't desperately need them or anything, but um, it, it it's, it's that sort of thing. Yeah. You, you, by not choosing, by him not deciding which pair of glasses to get, he was making a choice to go around without glasses, right? Mm-hmm. So yeah, this is just, uh, you know, it, it, and it's easy to just like pick easy examples to pick on like whatever evolution or coffee tables. But, um, you know, it, it, it can be, uh, this isn't just something that happens to people who aren't, who are bad at thinking about stuff, right? Uh, it's, it's hard to make a decision sometimes, especially on things that matter and, if making one decision like commits you and is costly, you know, like buying a house is a good example, right? Yeah. Like it's really easy to sit there and hedge on it for months and months and or years and years. You know, like I hedged for a long time. Should I get Bitcoin? Then it blew up to like double what it is now. And then it went, you know, went back down again. So, uh, and Isn't I never the- got any. So, well, I did a few <laughs> years and lost money, but that, that was a whole thing. But, you know, it's like if I, and by not acting, I, well, I missed out on, possibly gaining some money right and i think there's like a million rom-coms that are on the subject of oh i can't choose between these two people (laughs) and let's just not make any decision for the entirety of the movie and then at the end of the movie we still don't realize that polyamory exists because whatever (laughs) (laughs) yeah Yeah. uh he ends the post with saying that ducking uncomfortable choices is a dangerous habit of mind Uh, His advice is pick one of the uncomfortable answers as the best of an unsatisfactory lot. If there's missing information, fill in the blanks with plausible assumptions or probability distributions, whatever it takes to overcome the basic flinch away from discomfort. Until you pick one interim best guess, the discomfort will will consume your attention, distracting you from the search, tempt you to confuse the issue whether your analysis seems to trend whenever your analysis seems to trend in a particular direction. Refusing to choose is often the worst choice you can make. And I like that idea of, you know, actually having to sit down, pick which one you think is the most probable, make some the best guesses you can to fill in the difference and, you know, always be ready to change your mind again. If it turns out that some more evidence comes in and it looks like you were wrong in the initial, in the initial estimation you made. Yeah, And, and sometimes yeah. when I'm making a hard decision or, or talking to someone making a hard decision, if it's that hard to decide, probably both of your choices are good and Yes. That takes a little bit stressful. And then you can kind I think of... I think I first heard that... Hmm? Oh, uh, sorry, you were saying? This, this latency is really a bummer. Yeah, I think I'm, I'm... I'll just keep talking for a second when I when I hear someone pop up. Maybe that's that's the way to work it. 
Um, yeah. Well, now I forgot what I was going to say. So maybe we ought to. Oh, crap. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, yeah, I, I was going to just. Uh, I was going to follow up with what you said that, yes, I think I first heard that at uh, Robin Hansen's blog, Overcoming Bias, okay. uh, where, where he pointed out that if if you are really, really hemming and hawing and sweating over decision that much, it's probably because the differences are really small and uh, and it doesn't really matter one way or the other which one you choose, because even if you choose wrong, it's only going to be wrong by a little bit. So just fucking make a choice. Yeah. And if you just say they're both equal, then you can allow the the intangibles that you might feel guilty about making the full decision on, you know, blue or, or green. And you can't decide, well, I like blue better, but that's a stupid way to make the decision. Once you say, well, no, they're both good decisions, then you can let those things carry it over the finish line for you and make oh, the hell Yeah. And you'll be happier in the end. Yep. All right. Do we have anything more on these before we move on? Not really. No. I, I think this is the uh, the fastest we've ever gotten through a uh, a less wrong post section. What can I say? I think part of it is that uh, we're trying to get to the main topic. I, I it's rare that we're working like with an actual time pressure. So did mm-hmm. you read the last line of this? Because it was nice that uh, until you pick one of the best interim or until you pick one interim best guess, the discomfort will consume your attention, distract you from the search, tempt you to confuse the issue wherever whenever your analysis seems to trend in a particular direction. Refusing to choose is often one of the worst choices you can make. Yes. And I, I like that. Uh, again, it, it, it's a point that uh, Harry made in Methods of Rationality, but you know, not picking is, is or not deciding is, is also a choice and it can very often screw you over. So, mm-hmm. yeah. All right. Well, our posts for next time are going to be fake justification and an alien god. And an alien god is one of my favorites. It's... I. I love it. I did it in audio format so people will be able to listen to that one directly and I'll post a link and I'm looking forward to this. Fun on the bun. And this alien god is one of the gods that we must kill. So <laughs> just as a spoiler. <laughs> awesome. All right. So what are, what do we want to focus on? Uh, do you want to dive us in here, Velcro? Sure. Um, I think what, what I was hoping to do is uh, again, as I mentioned, give, give a parent's point of view on some of the things that were discussed. I want to start out with the things that I agree with and then maybe talk about some of the things that uh, that I didn't agree with, at least the, the way I interpreted them. And if we have time, there are a couple not parent-specific things that were brought up that I, I have some information that might uh, shade the, the the conclusions. But I, I can... Does that nice. sound with you? Yeah. yeah. I mean, I think, but we'll definitely try and make time for all of the, uh, you said, if we have time, like, let's make it happen. Um, okay. and you don't have to like hedge about, you know, uh, the areas where we agree and disagree. You know, I don't think anyone's going to be offended if you say, I feel like you got this wrong and here's, here's why. So okay. right. this, this is what we're all about. Yep. Why are we wrong? And why do you want to, uh, imprison all young adults? I will be, I will be <laughs> oh, as a, as a quick introduction. Okay. Uh, I will uh as a quick introduction. Okay. (laughs) Very well. You don't even have to be all that respectful. Uh, As a quick introduction, Velcro is one of our Discord users. And uh, after the, I think it was like four episodes ago and three episodes ago, or maybe three episodes and two episodes ago, we had a lot of talk about um, uh, how teenagers are infantilized and not allowed to join the adult world in a healthy and gradual way, or at least that is the way I phrased it. And uh, Velcro had some things to say about my particular phrasing and presenting of the issue. And since here we do like to 
you know, listen to all sides and let everybody get their say in, as long as this isn't completely ridiculous. And Velcro seemed to have, you know, some interesting things to say. We invited him on. And also we realized this is now going to be our third episode in the past month or so on this topic. And we promise this is the last one. And we are moving on to other things after this. So uh, bear with us one last time, I guess, while <laughs> I ride this particular hobby horse. And, and Velcro tells me why my horse is falling apart at the places where it joins the rocker. I don't know. <laughs> hobby horses have the rockers, right? Yes. Um, okay, excellent. Yep. So um, I, I think some of my, my views may have, have evolved again uh, as we've had the discussions in, in Discord, which is why I go, or one of the reasons I'm on it. But uh, I agree that parents should give teens as much autonomy as is practical. And I think they're the ones, to a large extent, who should be able to decide what is practical. I think they should err on the side of more autonomy, especially if safety is not an issue. I agree that if a teen is really not suited to high school, I remember hearing Charlie talk about how she just, I think it was Charlie, how she just hated it and didn't show up and except for tests and all that. If you're a teen who can have alternative ways of uh, getting an education and you have the temperament and maturity to, for example, get a GED on your own, then I don't think that teen should be forced to go to a typical high school. Um, now, if the parent refuses to acknowledge that, then I think the teen can be emancipated, which is a messy, lengthy process and is a last resort, but it is an option. And last thing I agree with, and then you guys can jump in if you want, uh, I agree that society is too permissive of excessive control. If there's a parent who's just over the top micromanaging their child, most people would say, well, yeah, I guess that's okay because that's their parent. And I think that the needle should shift away from that being okay. So that's kind of the, the baseline. Um, and I think that some things that parents do can be good or bad depending on how they're done. And one of the things uh, that was said was uh, the current system encourages bad parents. And I'm, I'm paraphrasing. It says the correct and proper way to raise children is to send them to school, control their lives, have curfews, and don't allow privileges if they do things you consider responsible. Those are bad things. And I and diving in here as a parent, I think, you know, force them. The first one is send them to school. You can't force them to go or you shouldn't force them to go to high school, but you, I think, are obligated to give them a good education, whether that's high school or homeschool or, or the best you can do. I think that's the proper role of a parent. Um, I don't know if you want to respond to that one first, or, or I have a couple other, you know, the other clauses in in that original quote. I think it me it depends a lot on what you mean by um, obligated and a good education. Like okay. in, I I, I think. Formal uh, schooling, the way we do it, is probably one of the worst ways to teach children anything. It's amazing how much uh, someone can learn and how quickly they can learn when they're actually really interested in something. Like up until five years of age, children learn so much at an astounding rate. And then we force them into school and force them to waste their time doing things they don't want to do and they hate to do. And the rate of learning drops so incredibly that I almost can't even like picture what society might be like if we didn't force people to waste 10, 12 years of their lives uh, being in these little mental prisons where they can't 
actually learn at the rate that humans are possible, that humans could learn at? Like, how much further could our society have gotten by now if for the past 200 years, people could continue to learn at the same speed they learn when they aren't forced to memorize multiplication tables or history dates or whatever and can pursue what they're interested in? Uh, it's it's like astounding how quickly a kid that's into snakes can pick up everything there is to know about snakes. And yet you, you force them to learn these things in a school and they don't want to, and it goes very slowly and they forget almost all of it as soon as school is over because they don't need it, they don't use it. So I don't think, I don't think that sending someone to school is providing them a good education, honestly, uh, especially if they don't want to be there. And And I don't think that... Uh, the government should obligate parents to do that or to force children to do anything other than to have basic literacy and numeracy. Um, well, I got so I, I, I this is a point I raised last time too, that I think that like complaints about school are different than complaints about like kids not having enough freedoms or something. You know, I, I don't think you're going to find anyone who will be like, no public school in the, in the U S is perfect. No. So I, I, I don't want to say like, that's a straw man target, but it, 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 that's not the crux of like the, or that's not the, the, the main thrust of, of most of the points you were making in those episodes. No, it's like, not. But also the forcing children to go into this educational institution is one of the primary limiters of their freedom and things that cause them distress in life. Okay. That, then that's, that's uh, closer to the, the main, the main stuff then. Yeah. Well, and the feeling that parents have that they're obligated to do this or they're bad parents. I think obligated Parents are obligated to educate their children, and education is a broad term and can mean different things to different people. But unfortunately, in the United States, that's public school is the only practical, affordable uh, method for parents to educate their kids. And I went to public school, and I felt educated. I might be an edge case, but I also think that uh, the the rationalist community might be a little overrepresented in more independent thinkers who are, have the motivation and maturity to learn for themselves. Um, as far as four to five year olds, I think that's a brain thing where when you're that age, you just pick up languages and concepts faster than you do when you're, you're 12. Um, but I, I could be wrong. Um, I think that's definitely the case with languages, but I do remember when I was self-teaching myself programming in what early junior high, I think it was seventh, eighth grade. It went really fast. There's, I don't know, like you say it's the easiest and cheapest way. And I think that's true the way things are right now, but I believe, or I assume that if you could take one of your children to work and like, you know, use them for some easier labor if that's possible there but also teach them engineering stuff alongside you you would they would not only would they learn a lot more and a lot faster but you'd also have a much deeper relationship with them because you'd actually be with them during the day and they'd know what you do and that sort of thing and i think that would be healthier for everyone all around plus they'd meet your coworkers, your peers they'd be slowly integrated into adult society as opposed to being sequestered off in these children prisons i think you can do both I, I have um, actually both of my kids are engineers. I don't know if you're familiar with the the first robotic program. Not to to sell it here, but it's it's getting <laughs> engineers and high school students together, and it's kind of like what you described. And that was a club at the high school. And if every student were off with their own private tutors, it would be harder to to get that sort of. Uh, community. Not impossible, but it's, it's a little harder. 
Um, and if we could manage a system where every student got private tutors for enough time to get the equivalent education of whatever they're getting now, and we could pay for it and we could find enough teachers and we could also supplement it with the half a dozen other things that happen at schools. I, yeah, if, if kids are learning better and it's achievable and practical, yeah, I think that would be better. But I think what we have now is not, I, I guess I, I push back on, on the, the prison. It might feel like that for students who are forced to learn algebra when they really just want to study snakes, but you can't get by in the world if all you know is snakes. And that's the only thing you're really interested in. That's the only thing that's not painful to get forced into your head. I think once you needed to learn something, you could learn it pretty darn fast, which is one of the main problems with schools is that you don't need to learn any of it. I guess it's kind of you like, mean, a, like a, aside from like, sorry, go ahead. Uh, it's, it's like a liberal arts education, which I think is a great Yeah, which are they're not, famously worthless. Well, I think it's a great thing if you don't go into debt for it and you don't really know what you want to do. The, the idea is you learn about culture, you learn about society, you learn how to think and maybe the actual liberal arts things cut programs don't always do this, but the idea is it gives you time to figure out thinking and talking to people and reasoning and learning about your culture and the good parts and, and the bad parts. And I think that's even, even if all you did in history is learn half dozen history facts that binds you to the American culture, because you know that there is a constitution, you know, there is a declaration of independence. When people talk about it, you know what they're talking about. So Sure. Very narrow focus. I, I, I think it's important for kids to learn things that they don't, they are not interested in at the moment you're trying to push it into their heads. But I think they will learn a lot things. I, th I mean, I think kids would learn a lot um, through osmosis by being surrounded just by a, a varied world with lots of interesting people in it. And they don't need to have the things that a a school has decided are the important curriculum forced in there like i've i've read um so many amazing books that i learned about from from friends or hearing about them from the internet and i really despised some of the books that they made me read in ap english i just took an f on the madame bovary quiz because i got through the first chapter and i said fuck this this is the worst thing i've read and i'm not going to waste my time with it and that was fine i still did you know great in the class but there i I disagree that anyone needs the the schooling that we have right now. That if children were allowed to uh, go to the places where that they found life and work interesting, and you know maybe make some money as they're working and learning, like the best way to learn anything is just to try to do it. I don't know how much money and time I would have had to spend in a class on on podcasting to learn how to do the the stuff I've done, but like actually just sitting down and trying to record the Methods of Rationality podcast. Like, sure, my first few dozen episodes were absolutely terrible, and I later went back and re-recorded them. But God, I learned quickly, and it was really fun. It was something I wanted to do. Well, I've got a question. If you were, you're, you were sitting next to someone who had already recorded all the podcasters, or would you not want to sit with them for an hour and say, okay, what are the rookie mistakes that I can avoid? You know, if I were starting a yeah, podcast... Totally. I would talk to you and I would say, Inyash, can you teach me all the mistakes you made in your first 10 episodes so I don't need to repeat them? And that's getting into another, yeah. topic, not strictly parent related. You don't, 
learning from mistakes is good. When you make the mistakes, you might as well learn from them. But if you can learn from somebody else's mistakes, that's even better. And going I, to school and learning things, you know, I don't know like if algebra counts as that, but in metal shop or whatever, something that's a little more practical, you learn from the teacher is teaching you based on other people's mistakes and they did it the wrong way. So I, I, I getting back to just for a second to another thing about learning on your own, I look at it as like, if you go into a museum, I could wander around and learn all sorts of stuff and that would be great. But if I had a tour guide who could say that painting there, that didn't particularly interest you, just so you know, that was painted by someone and there's a really interesting story behind it. And I learned all those things that I wouldn't have learned by myself. I have a, a curator to help me guide me through what years of training and research has shown to be the best average, the best way to teach an average child. And do most teachers do that? Maybe not. Are most children average on the tails, probably bigger than the middle? Yeah, sure. But I think, again, given our resources, the way we're doing it now is the least bad way to do it. And it can certainly get better. I absolutely agree with you on every single point, except for that very last one. Like uh, the, the learning from other people is, you know, being there with someone who's done it before and asking them questions is absolutely the way to go. Okay. And sometimes, you know, I help people when they ask questions. I know that, you know, that, that is why I am for, th there were no podcast classes in my high school. It wasn't even a thing yet, but that is, that is why I'm for the sort of allow children to go into the workplace and earn a little bit of money and be around the people doing the things they're interested in and asking them questions and stuff. That's, that's the basis of the whole apprenticeship learning thing. And learning from other people's mistakes is great, but you know, only when you're interested in learning the thing. If, if you were forced to go into the museum and walk this route and listen to someone lecture about all these things. And all you could think about is like, God, I don't want to be here. I want to go back to my metal working shop. I was working on this really cool way to make the AC ducts in my house more efficient. That That's just going to be a waste of your day and you're going to resent it and you're not going to learn much as opposed to you being in the museum. You wanted to be there. You were looking around in, at things, you know, and that extra help is, is useful. I think schools would be much better if they were that sort of voluntary place people can go to ask questions and get help as opposed to this place they are forced to go to learn things that they don't care about and usually won't need or use. I, I think the, the other main right. selling point in favor of uh, um, like just a, a generic liberal arts education is that you, you might be exposed to something that, you know, if, if all you knew was, you know, running with the metallurgy or metal shop example, you know, if, if that was what your parents did and that's, that was what you were exposed to. But it turns out you, you really think that, uh, law is cool and you take a civics class that sparks an interest in that or something like, yes. you know, ha having some forced uh, exposure to everything, I think can, can open a door for you that you didn't realize you wanted open. And so it would, it would benefit the child in just like the pragmatic way of what do I do with my, my career. But I, mm -hmm. I also think that there's just an asset in knowing some basic world facts, you know, yeah. taking a, uh, you know, a couple of geography classes for your primary education, taking some history classes, uh, general physics, science, all that stuff. You know, most people don't use biology in their real life, but knowing a little bit is super helpful. Um, you know, who knows when a pandemic might hit and you'll need to make some educated guesses about uh, vaccines or masks or something, right? Yeah. 
Yep. And I agree, but I think, you know, like a month a year would be more than enough for that sort of thing. Maybe a week every quarter to give people some broad knowledge, to give them exposure to other things, as opposed to this is, you know, your life for the next 12 years. I, I think th- this kind of gets at the bigger issue, which is who gets to decide what is best for a team. And yes, I and I think I've worked with teens on the, the robotics team. I've worked with teens through Boy Scouts and I've worked through teen, with teens um, that were my kids. And it varies widely how well they would be able to make those decisions. And certainly there are a select few who, and you know, Jace talked about this with his experience in, in the library, that you're like, yeah, they're, they're good. They, they, I, if they want to decide what they want to do, I trust them and go for it. And, but most of them are relatively clueless. And maybe part of the problem is that they're clueless for the reasons you're talking about. But at least today, they're, they cannot make good decisions. They would say, what do, you want to, what, what do you want to study? I just want to play video games. And sure, you can learn some things from video games, but again, not six hours a day for 12 years. So there needs to be someone who says, yes, pursue video games on your own time and maybe study video game design and take programming, but you still need to learn algebra or you still need to learn, like Stephen said, basic history and geography and civics just to be a, a uh, literate member of society. And so someone's got to overrule their decision that they just want to play video games. And I think the best person qualified to do that is the parent who has been raising them for the last 13 years. And that's kind of my, my I, so yeah, I do think, I do think that people definitely need some basic knowledge, the literacy, numeracy, possibly some basic history and civics and all those things uh, can and should be done when they're, you know, still the most receptive to that sort of instruction when they're in the child phase of life, which is when kids are, you know, naturally most inclined to listen to the parents, to want to please the parents, and to learn those sorts of things. I think by the time you get to 12, 13, 14, around that age, for most people, you start wanting to break away and live your own life. And at that point, it's too late to force people to learn things they don't want to learn. Like everything before that, when you sit down and you want to tell kids about history, usually they're pretty interested. They just want to be with their parents and do things uh, and please them. And that's when it's time to do that sort of thing. And after that, you you got to let go and stop making decisions for people and, uh, you know, hope you haven't screwed up and not given them all that information so far. I, I guess I kind of look at it as parents are guardrails at that age. You don't want to use them, but you need to have them there. And if a kid is gone and refusing to learn his basic geography, I mean, you, you make it clear that that is something that is expected and not just, oh, well, you don't want right, to. that age. I'm all in. Now, by I might, that age, you mean like pre-12, right? Well, <clears throat> if I had a 14-year-old who said, I don't want to learn geography, <clears throat> excuse me, I, you're, you're, I acknowledge there is no way for me to force him to learn geography, but I would make it very clear that the reasons why he should, and there will be consequences, you know, failing classes that will move on to the rest of his life if he doesn't complete high school because geography is a requirement. I, do, I don't want to get into the details of, of how to convince him. I guess the, the point right now is 
I disagree strongly that it is his call to not take geography because as a 14-year-old, he doesn't see the value of it. Whereas, as Stephen pointed out, as an adult, there's some value. And if he actually takes it, it's not unheard of for students to say, I hate this class. And then after you expose them to it, they find out they really have a knack for it or an appreciation for it. So yeah, kind of force them to at least, it's, it's like food, not force is not the right word. Strongly encourage them to at least try it because until they try it, they don't know if they'll like it. And maybe you got to try it twice with some kids. That's all. So does the, does the strongly encourage uh, include things that you would not do to another adult? Um, I would say for a 14 year old, there is any try, any any attempt to force is not going to work for an eight year old. Yes, certainly there are things that I would use to motivate an eight year old that I would not use to motivate an adult because eight year olds are not adults. Sure. And I, I agree. I don't, I, I think that, I mean, I, I remember on the Discord, someone, when I mentioned spanking, like, got kind of upset about that and said, you shouldn't ever hit children ever. And I don't know, I I don't have a strongly formed opinion on that yet. But I I do think that, especially in the early years, sometimes some sort of negative physical reinforcement can be a useful tool. Uh, I, I You know what? I don't want to get into that. But uh, I, I am saying, yeah, you, you don't need to treat eight-year-olds like adults. You, you can treat them like children and take away their toys or, or things uh, to a certain extent. But it's when you're, you know, a 14-year-old, if, if you want him to take a geography class and he doesn't want to, like there's, there, there's one thing where you're trying to convince him and tell him you'll be disappointed or other things. Anything that you would do with, say, like your brother or your parents, if they were ignorant about some really important thing that's happening in the world, but you, you wouldn't like take away their, their rights or, or in other ways try to punish them if they didn't do what you wanted. I, I, I want to try and make like a, a case that, I mean, so you, you keep you keep asking like, you know, are they 14? Are they eight? You know, I don't think that there's anything magic that happens, you know, just like, you know, on your 365th day of your 17th year, nothing magic happens that makes you an adult. Agreed. I don't think anything magic happens when you turn 13 either. Um, I think there is something magic that happens around that age uh, and it's called puberty. Yeah. I So, I mean, true. You go through, uh, yeah. Puberty happens, but like, I, I want to wait. Education is a good starting point uh, for a lot of this, but I do want to move past that uh, maybe another 10 or 15 minutes, but mm-hmm. I can even stick with the geography example. Like I've, I say, I've got a, a an unruly 14 year old who doesn't want to f- finish high school because they find something else more interesting. It, you, you know, it under, I think your position, it shouldn't matter whether or not that something else is entirely useless or super valuable. You know, if they want to study law and become a lawyer or they want to uh, play video games, right? Um, it's they, nope, they're, they're autonomous. They should be allowed to do what they want. I don't think a 14-year-old has the capacity to understand what they're doing to themselves, just how big a hole they're shooting in their foot if they say, nope, I'm going to drop out of high school and play video games instead. I agree. Um, like, I and and so I think that with... The, I think the crux is that, like, with, with an adult, you know, Inyash and I, if we're, if, if we're talking to 30-year-olds, you might say, well, that's really stupid of you, but I respect your autonomy as, a, as an adult person to do what you want. But I think when it's your child and you're like, it, guardrails is one way to put it. I like the term steward, too. 
You know, yeah. it's it is your job for having brought this existence into into the world to to steward it toward a good toward a good future. And if you back up their decision to drop out of high school to play video games, you're ruining their life. Mm-hmm. Well, you're allowing I, them to ruin I, their life. Yeah, I think that a 14-year-old who dropped out of high school to play video games would very quickly find themselves unable to pay rent and would then have to stop playing video games and find a way to pay rent, at which point they would learn uh, either some valuable skills or that they should get back into school so they can learn some valuable skills, which honestly I don't think they would do because going to school does not give you the valuable skills you need to pay rent. Uh, But yeah, I think it would be a fairly quickly self-correcting problem. Well, Well, school comes with like... I don't know if you'd have to kick out your 14 year old if they decided they were going to play video games. You know, I would also think that as a parent, that'd be a hard decision to say, I don't care if you get cold at night, you're, if you're not going to go to school, you don't live here anymore. I don't think that's a good parenting move, basically, no matter what your kid does. Right. Um, I think that uh, if, uh, if they're going to school, you know, most, most people who are in primary education years are living for free at their parents' house. Right. Mm-hmm. Right. So I think that is actually a big problem with society. And this is this is where we get into the hard problems of how do you actually change any of this? Because the problem is that we have been for the past century and a half treating 14-year-olds like infants. And everyone just assumes that they're going to be housed and fed at their parents' house. And that's the way it should be. And the 14-year-olds themselves have been socialized to expect to be treated like children like this and make decisions accordingly. And that is a real big problem. Like people, as they grow into adulthood, they should be allowed to take on the rights and responsibilities of adulthood as they see fit. But at the current stage, they can't. They can't get a job at fourteen. They don't. They don't expect to get a job or pay rent. It's it's very much a thing where like you you have been told you will be treated like a child until you're eighteen count on it and you have to make your life choices based on that and they do but they're shitty life choices and they make everybody mentally unwell and i think that's bad but it's going to be a heck of a thing to try to correct this thing that's been going wrong for 150 years i i will disagree with the premise that we're treating 14 year olds like infants in that they have chores they have uh they can mow lawns and uh shovel driveways they can work with their parents, as I think you and Jace both said you did when when you were in high school. Um, I mm-hmm. think there are opportunities, you know, babysitting. I mean, there's plenty of, of ways where they can get jobs. If they really did want to intern at a company, at my company, if a 14-year-old came in and said, you know, I'd like to just shadow, I've, I've done that. People, students have come in and shadowed me in my job so they could learn about it. And I don't know what the legal, you know, if they wanted to come in and volunteer other than liability issues, because they're not technically an employee. Yeah, that would be great to, to have someone do that. So I, I think it's not, can you pay them? Mm-hmm. Can I pay them? Uh, I know. Yeah. Uh, nope. My niece is studying to be a psychi- psychiatric RN. She is required to have a clinical, which is an unpaid internship and she's 30. So yeah. it's I, education, I, as you I said, just, it's not, it's, it's not necessarily a job. And I don't think any 14 year old would want to give up the, the free room and board for the minimum wage pay that they could get, which I, I, I know you wanted to say something. I just wanted to pop it in here because it's convenient. There is a federally 
mandated minimum wage for training, where for 90 days, someone under 20 years of age can be paid, I think it's $4 uh, instead of whatever the, the minimum wage is. I, I think I looked it up for Colorado, it was $4. So yeah, there's an incentive there for, for people to, to train. So sorry, I just went off on a mini tangent. I, I forgot where we were. Oh, no, that, that's really good. And I am glad to hear that. I know that the internships that I'm familiar with, they actually, the the the, defini- the definition legally is that they cannot be paid and they cannot do labor that is valuable, um, which I think is incredibly fucked up because, first of all, any sort of work that you do is going to be offsetting costs that the company has. And saying that you are your work is literally valueless is really insulting to the person. And I think just, just a bald-faced lie that everyone realizes is a lie, but no one is really willing to admit, but they're supposedly supposed to not do any valuable labor and just be there to learn, despite that the best learning is done when you're doing the the labor that you want to learn how to do. I don't know. I think the way internships are structured right now is pretty messed up. Okay. I, I you have sorry, not, what? I have not heard that definition for internships. And we've had, at my work, we've had dozens They've done valuable work. I don't know if we're violating the law by allowing that. <laughs> it may be specifically my industry. It's it's where I work. I'm in I'm in accounting, and we have interns sometimes. But yeah, mm-hmm. they're not supposed to do things that are that contribute revenue to the company. Which again, I think that's a stupid bullshit definition because nothing in accounting contributes revenue. But we are doing work that is valuable. So. I, I think that with with things. internships, I've got two quick thoughts on that. One is that, like, it, it might depend on the nature of the, of the the training that you're getting. You know, if you're shadowing a professor or shadowing a a medical professional, um, it it makes sense that you're, you're actually not contributing. You're, if anything, you're slowing everything down by asking questions, which you should be doing because you're there trying to learn. And so, you know, if I if I own a hospital, this is getting stretched, but I'm not going to pay the people who want to come in and shadow my doctors. You know, that, that sounds like a complete waste of money. In fact, if anything, it's going to cost my doctors t- money or cost them time, which means cost me money to train these people. But I'll eat that cost because I think it's the right thing to do. And also, I finally just needed to, to dig this up because I knew I felt gaslit. But you guys saying that I didn't have a job when I was in junior high in Colorado, you can you can get a job if you're 14. OK, so I, I just I, I know that this came up on the second time that we talked about this. And I was like, I know I had a job in junior high school <laughs> and, and I've been, you know, working before that, you know, mowing lawns, shoveling snow, you know, all the stuff that you can do with people handing you cash. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I had a W-2 job when I was 14 or 15. And oh, it turns out the minimum age is 14 in Colorado, which is about the age that you're talking about. You know, yeah. I don't, th- I don't think that, a and you know, puberty aside, I wouldn't want to have to like do a hormone test on a young person to determine whether or not I'm allowed to hire them. But, <laughs> yeah. uh, you know, if, if you're a late bloomer, it shouldn't make a difference. And if you're an early bloomer, it shouldn't really make a difference. Like, it's uh, you have to draw the line at just like an easy thing. So I guess th- that's why that's why years and ages are the law, right? Um, and we're not going to quite fix that. I, I'm, I'm to me that the crux of this that's more interesting is like you know our our and we can we can stick with fourteen just as like the the base number, but caveats aside about puberty, etc. But something you know that, that tends to be after puberty started, and yeah. they've got some some frontal cortex, but I'll, I'll uh, I, I still think that. Well, I, I would, except I don't know if it is. <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I mean, whatever, you know, age, I, whatever age you mature at, you know, it doesn't have to, you don't have to put a number on it. You don't have to say puberty. When this child is mature, then they should be able to do blank. 
or, or maybe that doesn't work. I don't, I yeah. don't know. I, it, it does, except for I get stuck up on, I trip up on mature because I, you know, I, I'm, I know 70 year olds who aren't mature, uh, but they can right. say manage their life well enough to, to pay their mortgage or something. Right. So, okay. um, yeah, I, I, I think that like a, you know, there are young adults who are legally old enough to work in Colorado who are 14, you know, who are way too dumb is a nice shorthand for it, but I don't want to sound uncharitable. Uh, unskilled in certain they're, areas. They're, yeah. Unskilled in certain areas, including cognition to, to understand that their behavior or their choices have long-term consequences. Um, you know, that it's, uh, I have a friend who's a lawyer and he's, uh, defending a 16 year old who has half a dozen aggravated assaults and robberies on his record. And this is, uh, this is somebody who's, you know, been on camera doing this. I thought, you know, at first, Oh, that's, they're being hassled by the cops, but no, this is somebody who's, who's that let, let's just take it for granted. This person's actually done this. Mm-hmm. I don't know if at 15 or 14, whenever he did his first assault that, uh, or first aggravated robbery that he knew like, Oh, I could go to prison for like 10 years for this. Cause I don't think a 13 or 14 year old understands what 10 years means. Like, so, so by, by giving them this adult responsibility and adult, uh, accountability, I, I don't know if they have the capacity to understand what you're thrusting on them. And, and that's why I wanted to ask, I, I guess I kind of was passing that off to Velcro cause you've, 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 uh, interacted with, with children through development. Whereas, mm-hmm. you know, I, I see the occasional child in my life. So like, I, in, you know, your kids might, uh, you can't generalize to every child from your, your kids or something, but you, you know, you said you've, uh, worked with them in, in various other capacities as well. Um, yeah. you know, scouts and stuff. So, yeah. you know, I mean, I'll, I'll just, I'll pass it off. Well, what's the specific question or, or, or comment you want me to? Yeah. <laughs> I was hoping my, my vague ramblings were enough to pick something up on like my, I, my my intuition and my my brief exposure and my own recollection of being a teenager is that I was too dumb to understand that like my decisions had long term consequences, and so by saying okay, you've decided that you want to drop out of high school and become an adult, um, like I don't know if a fourteen year old or someone you know not not every eighteen year old fits this either, but again numbers mm-hmm. just need to be there. I'll try to make this point succinctly. Um, do you think that the age that like Inyash is advocating for here, uh, that those that the that young people in that age demographic range tend to be of a level of maturity where they can handle uh, making real decisions and having real consequences. I would say mostly not. You know, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe it's sixty percent can handle that. Maybe it's seventy percent, but I'm pretty sure it's not ninety. I would guess it's more like thirty. Does it, does that answer? Maybe I was a particularly dumb child. So maybe that's part of what hung me up on this. Cause I just, you know, at, when I was that age, you know, I was doing a lot of dumb, dangerous stuff that, you know, if if I had gotten in, yeah, totally. Um, so I guess just, yeah, no, no. Yeah. I'm just thinking, I I think that what I'm doing is I'm self-angering to every other young person from my own childhood. Maybe Inyash and Charlie and, and Jace were super advanced for their age and, you know, at, at 14, they understood, no, I need to start saving for retirement and I need to, uh, uh, make sure I, I diet and exercise so I can maintain a healthy body. And, and, you know, um, those are the opposite of the things I was doing at that age. Well, I mean, I just did like, not start exercising until I got into my thirties. I, it's just but like the kind of thing of like, what would you decided not to? Cause you were 14. Yeah. 
And so I guess I, I'm trying to think like that's that's why I trip up on maturity. Yeah, but I, I I think that's that's kind of my point that that decision was given to you to should you start exercising now because it will make you healthier throughout your life and you said no nah, I don't feel like it and yeah I had other things to do that I thought were more valuable right and you know in in hindsight as whatever age you are now and and maybe exercising is not the the greatest thing but something that that uh, does have more of a direct impact later in life. There are things you, that you said, gee, if I could go back to my 14 year old, I would say, don't do that. That's a mistake. Do this instead. And the, I actually would, think, well, is that true? Are there things where you would, you would go back and say, don't do that, do something else? 100%. If I, I mean, I think actually the exercising is a really good example. If mm -hmm. I had the knowledge I have right now transported into my 14 year old brain, I would definitely take much better care of my physical body because it is amazing how much of a difference it makes for, for cognitive ability, for mental health, and very importantly, which I did not realize at the time, for other people wanting to be around you. Like just people thinking, oh, that person is in shape and attractive makes yeah. a huge difference to your life. Yeah. So like those are things I didn't know then that I know now, but uh, they did try to force me to exercise in, in those years. Like we had mandatory physical education classes and I basically skipped the fuck out because I did not care. I felt like I was stuck in a meat suit that I did not like. Uh, I was living the life of the mind uh, for as best as I could at that age. Yeah. And that was what I wanted to do. And there was, there is no level of coercion. You could have made me, do that would have made me um, exercise short of like literally putting me in a sort of boot camp situation where I would be beaten if I didn't. And uh, I'm glad I wasn't put in that situation. And I made the choices I did. And I used my time for what I thought was most valuable. And, you know, if I had spent that time working out, I wouldn't have had the time to play the D&D &D games, which now inform a lot of my writing. I wouldn't have had time to surf the internet and get to the point I am now where I stumbled across less wrong and overcoming bias and became a rationalist. Like, there were trade-offs to my choices. And yeah. There is like one or two major choices in my life that I regret, but not exercising isn't necessarily one of them. It was one of those things I was able to go back and rectify later. And I had different life experiences than I would have if I had exercised, but whatever, you know, that's, that's life. Everyone's life is different and we make our own choices. Right. But, but getting back to what you said before that, and, and maybe you, you backed off on this a little bit, if you could go back in time and inject what you know now into your head and maybe not specifically for exercise, but for something, that's kind of a parent's job is to say, I've had all this experience. I know what is good and I'm not going to inject it into your head, but my job is to push you in the right direction. And as Stephen has said, there's, there's a lot of ownership is the wrong word, obviously, but there's a lot of uh, investment and connection to someone. And when you watch someone that you have brought into the world and raised for 14 years, make a decision that you are convinced and it, you are right, is going to damage them in the future in a way that they are not able to comprehend. You really, really, really want to make their life better. And the only way to do that is to convince them to do this thing they don't want to do. And that's why parents do I, Yeah, I understand. And I sympathize with that. And I, I mean, I basically absolutely feel the same way because when you see someone doing something you know is hurting them, you want to fix it. Like right now, with all the anti-vaxxers out there, I really want to sit them down 
uh, like strap them down against their will, get 12 burly cops to hold them down and jab them with the vaccine because they're endangering all of humanity as well as themselves. Mm-hmm. But I realize I can't do that because they're you adult. can't violate someone's bodily autonomy like that. It's, I mean, not just that it's impractical, it's literally immoral to do that, that Except you have to either try to convince them or allow them to, to come to harm. And, you know, sometimes you, all you can do if you want to respect someone as a person is allow them to make a mistake that's going to hurt them because the, the other option of violating their personhood is even worse. Well, you mentioned I, that the other fallout of, of not having a vaccine is that you can hurt other people. Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a big, I'm a big sympathizer with violating people's personal autonomy when it comes to their risking the safety of other people. Yeah, you know, if, if a cop sees you driving on the wrong side of the road and they pull you over and take away your license or something, uh, I, I'm glad they did that because you were endangering other people by doing it. Right? Yeah, that is it's not just your we, safety. That is usually as a society where we draw the line when it's okay to violate someone, and I guess we haven't quite come down on the COVID vaccine if it's bad enough that we have to violate people in order to protect the rest of society. I know that we did for several other vaccines in the past where people were forced to get them against their will. And uh, those were serious enough illnesses that I think it was justified. I think that's, like I said, I don't know about COVID right now, whether it's at that point or not. So I'm okay with the status quo being what it is. But getting back to the analogy, yes, I agree. If it's not... if it's not a bad enough vaccine, for lack of a better term, you can't force an adult to do it. You can certainly force a two-year-old to get the vaccine, even though they clearly do not want it. And to me, there is a spectrum, as we've said many times, where do you draw the line between two and, and 50? Right now we draw it at 18 or 21. If a 14-year-old said, I really don't want that vaccine, I don't think I can physically force them to get it. I don't know that I should physically force them to get it, but you cannot convince me that they have the skills and maturity and whatever else they need to make the right decision when they're saying, I don't want it. And, and again, that's where I am. They, they, I know better than them. Yeah. I, so I'm partly have some objections to the, I know better than them thing because in some particular, often that is the case that you do know better. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Often you do know better, but, yeah, but it, it sometimes makes it, there's the temptation to know better more than one actually does. And Absolutely. that is sort of worrisome. But yes, but more more to the point is like, there are times where where you know better. Like when Stephen was, what you were riding on the top of a car that was driving or something? Oh, I did stuff like that a lot when I was a kid. I mean, the, the number of, of dangerously stupid things I did and, and illegal things. I mean, if I happened to have, you know, uh, annoyed the wrong cop or just, you know, been stopped by the wrong person or gotten caught by cops when I was doing things that I shouldn't have been doing, my life could have been ruined. And if my parents were aware of the things I was doing, they would have made the right decision to find some way to trap me at home so I couldn't go do dangerous stuff. Um, you know, because they're like, look, you don't understand, Stephen, you're 15. Uh, actually, no, I must have been 16 because, you know, one of my friend or one of the people in my peer group had a car for us to do all this, do all these shenanigans in. Um, so, I mean, I, I was 16 years old. I was old enough to get a W2 job. I was old enough to probably file to emancipate myself, all this stuff. And yet I was way too dumb to realize that, you know, if I fall off this car, I could be limping for the rest of my life. Or okay. if while doing this, we, we crash into somebody else, we could all go to jail, you know? 
and you think the correct decision would have been to lock you in your room after 6 p.m. or whatever for every day until you turned 18. I don't know if, I mean, so I, I, I think that if I had, say, uh, screwed up badly enough to where I was just now getting out of prison about it, I would have wished desperately that my parents, who were older and wiser than me, had found some way to compel me to not do the stupid thing. Um, I, I would have looked back, wished that could have, ha- have happened. And if I'm looking down at my child and I know that they're up doing this dangerous, stupid shit, I, I want to find a way to make them not do it. And if that means taking away their PlayStation, like I, I, I think that that is the by far lesser of two evils. And I, I think the issue is not so much how do you stop them? Cause there is no good way to stop them. The issue is, do you claim that they have the right to make that decision or that they're making the right decision by deciding to do that. And if you agree they're making the wrong decision, well, I, I, I guess it's, uh, again, it's, yes, for a 21-year-old, nothing you can do. For a two-year-old, obviously. Where do you draw the line? I, again, I get back to, let's ask the mature, and this is, you know, only for good parents, but let's ask the mature adult who has been living with this person and loved them more than anything else, ask them what might be the best course of action, as opposed to leaving it up to the 14-year-old who's obviously not a good person to decide. Yeah, I think, I mean, I, I first of all have objections to anyone saying that other people can't do things that are wrong. I think the right to be wrong is a very important right because uh, sometimes it turns out you're not wrong. Okay. Yep. And, uh, and that, you know, yes. And when two people have conflicts about what is wrong, usually the person whose body it is is the one who has the best motivation and best ability to decide if they're wrong or not and i think that should be the default yeah yeah and and i do think that should be the default i think all other things yes but when you have a 30 year old and a 34 year old and and a 14 year old all things are not equal I don't think that's at all obvious. I mean, sure, oftentimes a 30-year-old knows more things than a 14-year-old. Yeah, exactly. And the blanket blanket assumption is that the 14-year-old should be overruled, not just overruled, but like literally ruled by the 30-year-old in these cases. And I don't think that is a good assumption for society to have at all. I, I mean, you specifically also said in the cases where parents are good, which is not a thing you can assume very often. If they're not, then you get emancipated. Emancipation is a very difficult process. Like Charlie tried. It's true. it's not something that can be that easily done. It is true. And it, I think they're just. I agree, the- but it is a method. And I think the the number of parents who are bad enough that emancipation is is a good solution is small enough that that's a reasonable uh, solution to that problem. Now, if, if I and, think- and you might disagree with that, yeah. I do. Okay. And that also a lot of children at 14 don't know about the emancipation uh, option and how to go about doing it. And there should be much more of a ability to simply walk out and be treated as an adult as opposed to having to go through this process. Well, that gets... I do think that if you have terrible, torturous parents, you should be allowed to emancipate. And maybe it should be easier to do. But it's also the kind of thing where I could imagine you know, some idiot 14 year old saying, no, screw you. I want to do this terribly stupid thing. And I know you guys disagree. So I'm going to go emancipate myself. And then they look back at the ruin that their life became and wish that they weren't able to do that. Now, I mean, maybe I'm painting too, like 
uh, maybe I'm painting too uh, generous a picture for my my thoughts here, but like I I guess I look back at my childhood, and the only reason that I am where I am is that I was stupendously lucky. You know, the idea that we never had to call my parents from the hospital or the police station once. We never had to do that. Like that that is pure luck. You know, a lot of other people who did the stupid shit that I did got in trouble or got hurt. I don't know how stupendous the luck is because it's been from what I've heard talking to people, the majority of people who do that sort of dumb stuff and also the majority of them never have that big of a consequence, maybe broken bones, maybe a destroyed car, but nothing that isn't recoverable. So I think, yes, you were not unlucky, but so are most people. Is that the survivorship bias in that the people who weren't so lucky you wouldn't come across? Or I mean, that's possible. Don't know. Yeah, or they, they're not online talking a lot because their brain damage, you know, prevents them from being able to focus long enough to type a sentence. Like, you know, it if I fell off a car going 30 miles an hour, you know, I could have wanged my head. And if I did live, I, I wouldn't be the person I am today, right? Or they um, might not want to brag it's about just it. just lucky. Yeah, when I was 14, yeah. I did something stupid and killed somebody. That doesn't, you know, you got to know them pretty well before you find that out. Sure. Not, not a complete rebuttal of your point, but just a, a, a slight lessening, I would say. I have a an intuition pump I want to throw past you guys because this is kind of sure. ties to the autonomy of of people and when they're mature enough to make impactful decisions for their future selves. Um, you can't buy nicotine products in Colorado, probably the entire U.S. until you're 18 years old, uh, the same age that you're old enough to enlist in the military. I I find it a good idea that we don't let 13 year olds buy cigarettes. Because I don't know if they understand what they're doing to their 23-year-old self by picking up a smoking habit at 13. And, it, think- and, and that like making it hard for them to get their hands on it actually is a barrier that does stop a lot of people. I don't think it matters at all. Of the people I know who uh, got addicted to cigarettes, and I include myself in this, not a single one of them got addicted after the age of 17. All of us started smoking before then. Do you think that there might have been more of them if you know there were cigarettes in your... Uh, you know, available to them at the gas station and they didn't have to ask older people to buy them for them? No. Cigarettes were easily available. I don't think it matters at all. If anything, the fact that only adults could smoke and that made it cool and glamorous might have been a small contributing factor. I'm not sure how much it really was, though. The people I knew who started smoking was either did it because of uh, their peers, they wanted to fit in with their peers, or because they had mental health issues and the nicotine helped a bit for that. Uh, so... That, that was my personal experience. Um, I, I don't think that having having that age limit reduced would change much at all in society. It would be That's interesting. I want Belko's response here in a second too, but I just need to jump in that my uh, everyone I know who started smoking did so so that they could take breaks at work. Because <laughs> Perverse work in a, incentives. Yes. Yeah, so, I mean, if, you're, if you work at a restaurant, you, you get to take a 10-minute break every hour to go smoke, and that's just like an acceptable thing. But wow. if you don't smoke, you're not allowed to just go stand outside. So they, they took up smoking just so that they could get a break. Oh, man, that's fucked up. And that's at wow. least three people that yeah. I knew. Um, well, um, one, yeah. One of the other things I, I did want to talk about is the things we're, we're kind of dancing around is that you, if you can decide that a teen is competent in a certain area, then it makes sense to give them the rights and responsibilities in that area. But, mm-hmm. and I mentioned this on Discord a little bit, I haven't seen any good model of how to uh, actually have those tests. And in the absence of, of a good test, I fall back on, let's find a competent adult who has raised this child since birth 
and has their clearly has their best interests at heart rather than a test that some bureaucrat somewhere is going to, to administer and grade. So I don't think trusting the adult is a great idea because adults, much like they have incentives to start smoking for breaks, have incentives to keep their children um, following the social order of everybody else. Um, I, and, and often just, like you said, wanting to keep their children at home and protected because there are all these strong protective impulses. I didn't know uh, that actually, but, but so I, I, okay. But I, I, the person I would trust most is the, the, teen in question and i guess that maybe like a society of their peers a jury of their peers sort of thing i know that uh in teens 2.0 he proposed a test and i don't like the test idea either because as you said tests aren't aren't a great way to to test things especially not things that are run by a large national bureaucracy i mean that's that's probably going to not work well but the, the primary problem I have is that right now we basically have a system where everyone is assumed to automatically flunk the test at all times until they turn 18 where they automatically pass all tests. And unless even a shitty... Yeah, yeah right. But un, so? unless... Even if there was like a shitty, terrible, bureaucratic, um, bureaucratically monkeyed with test, I think there would be... At least that would be slightly better because then there'd be not an auto failure for everyone immediately uh, thing. That you could at least maybe... Okay. It's not an auto failure in that you can join the military with parental permission. You can get married with parental permission. There are lots of things you can do. I'm not sure... Yeah, and all all of them depend on parental permission. Right. So I I think that's the whole problem. Well, I, I think it depends which direction you're coming to from if you make the assumption that most parents there and I think you might have mentioned this that most parents goal is to keep their child well behaved until they leave the house then yes that's a problem if you look at it as I do as I want to make sure my child has all the skills and limbs necessary to be a <laughs> successful adult and is not in jail and has learned good habits from example and isn't forced to make all the mistakes to learn the lessons like getting pregnant or getting hooked on drugs, then if you look at it from parents have their parents are reasonably competent with the best interest of their child at heart, the long-term interest, not just making them happy today, that's where our viewpoints differ. And as a parent, I'm trying to advocate for that second one where parents are pretty damn good at making decisions in general for big things. Let me take that back. They're not pretty damn good. I think they're the least bad method of determining when teens are capable of getting additional rights and responsibilities. I think that parents have that objective and they they certainly have that intention, but uh I think just looking at the the data and how how teens do turn out, it is it is objectively unarguable that this is a worse way to handle things, that those mm-hmm. good intentions have led to bad outcomes the same way that uh, parents nowadays won't let their children go outside unless they are being specifically watched by that parent the the helicopter parenting as they call it like i do think that's actually harmful for development and has had worse consequences and that the the way we've been treating teenagers over the past century and a half has been that in a later stage of life and it's just as harmful and yeah their their intentions are good they want the best oftentimes but what they are 
their instincts and what society has been telling them is so off that the actual consequences are significantly worse than so what's the better alternative if they had better the better alternative is to let sorry uh, I, I said better parents is one alternative but but absent that no I, I don't think better parents is an alternative because okay. the parents themselves are already trying to do good it's not okay. a, a matter of the intent the, it's it's a matter of what you're actually doing and the the better alternative i guess is to uh allow young adults to start being young adults and be hands-off and let them make their mistakes and and learn from them and not try to watch them and force them and make them not make the wrong decisions I to, to treat them much more as adults and allow them to pay their own rent and drop out of school and get jobs uh and learn that oh this this actually isn't that great let me go back to a, a place that can teach me a skill that I can be more gainfully employed and have a better life. I think I agree with that. But as you said, I think it was something like in most cases or, or allowing the teens to make that decision when it's the right thing to do, who gets to decide when the teen is actually capable of making that decision? The teen themselves. I gave an example in the Discord. If you're getting flying lessons, who gets to, and you have an instructor who's been doing this for 20 years. Who gets to decide when you're good enough to get your license? The student or the teacher? <laughs> I like this example a lot. Yeah, well, I mean, the teacher does because the teacher is the one that gives the license. No, well, the and they're the ones who know if the person's good enough to fly. Well, two things. Yeah, which the is teacher, what gives you the license. The teacher signs off on saying that you have passed the requirements to my satisfaction. And then it goes mm-hmm. to the licensing agency or whatever. I don't know if that makes a difference. But the student doesn't okay. decide when they know enough. The person with the experience, the person who, who has done this before and has watched, has, has watched students and is fairly decent at judging when they have reached a certain level of skill and maturity, they get to mm-hmm. decide. And, you know, you could say, well, that student who just flew for 20 minutes decided they know enough. Great. Sure. They'll find out soon enough that they don't know how to land and problem solved. Mm-hmm. But you don't want to do that to your kids. So, I mean, I think it's a flawed analogy on several levels, in part because the student themselves knows that they can't land and they're not going to try. But trust me. (laughs) Okay. well, I mean, then then they will they will, in fact, learn the hard way, I guess. And other people watching them will uh, realize not to be like that student. I mean, that's one of the problems with infantilization. And we even have it in the adult world with, uh, I think, the FDA and other licensing bureaus are a big part of this, where people simply don't bother uh, learning anything about what they're consuming. They're just like, oh, yeah, the government made sure that it's safe, so it's fine, Uh, which I I think is a very bad and harmful thing for people to do. It takes away their own agency, and it puts them at the mercy of a bureaucracy which doesn't necessarily have their best interests at heart. But I, I I do think people would very quickly uh, realize that if you try to learn, if you try to land before the instructor has taught you how to land, that it's going to end badly, and they won't do it except for maybe in the most dire of emergencies. I think there are fourteen-year-olds who might not do it when it's that clear, but do lots of things where it's obvious to anyone. With sufficient maturity, it's a really bad thing to do, and there's a very good chance that it's going to end badly, like purely hypothetically standing on cars while you're driving. 
<laughs> I mean, if the 14-year-old has enough money to buy their own light aircraft, then they're probably mature enough to know when they can or can't land it. And if they go out and steal a aircraft and then crash it, like, I mean, what what are you going to do? It's not like the licensing board can prevent that anyway. No, that's that's true. But I guess my point is more, who gets to decide when the teen is mature? Is it the teen or is it some person with more clearly... The, the teen may have crossed the line. The assumption is mm-hmm. the adult has clearly crossed the line. And if the adult is incompetent and you get a flight instructor who's letting people land at solo after 30 minutes or a flight instructor who never lets anyone pass, yeah, that's a problem. There should be a, a secondary source to overrule a, a bad, in this analogy, parent. But the default is the person who has the experience and the knowledge not only of society, but of this individual student should be the one who makes the call of when this student is ready to do something the student has never done before. Yeah. And like, I mean, that's, I think that's basically your answer right there. Like the instructor is the one who owns the plane and has the keys. And if the student wants to use the plane, they need to get the instructors. Okay. Unless of course, you know, they're breaking the law, in which case, off that's off the table if the student wants a license then they need to meet the instructor's requirements to get their sign off uh if the student has their own plane and doesn't care about a license then the issue doesn't come up anyway like the this the problem here it's it's a combination of both when the student thinks they're ready and when their instructor agrees with them it's it's a collaborative process whereas that is very absent oftentimes from parent-teacher, uh, not parent-teacher, uh, parent-child relationships. That could be, but the, I think what you're saying maybe is that the instructor has veto, veto power over when the student gets mm-hmm. to fly. And, and just to back up on the analogy, let's reframe it so that the student just got a, uh, a million dollars from the grandmother who passed away. Um, yeah. And so they bought an airplane and they decided they want to learn how to fly and they can they they could fly it right now illegally because they don't have a license. And as an instructor, do you disagree with that student? You say, well, you know, I can't stop you, so sure, go ahead and fly. You know, I'll I'll, I'll uh, I mean, if I'll you literally you, can't turn it on, if you I'll, literally can't stop them, then you can't stop them. Right, but you cannot say that the student should have the authority to decide if they are ready. You can't stop them, but you can't you can't. Yeah enable them in or agree with them that they are the ones who should and should I know is a crappy word for all sorts of reasons but that's that's the one I could reframe it if I tried hard if you're a parent you could decide I'm not going to give you the keys until you've completed flying lessons and I've gotten the sign off of a professional and right. yes that's I'm going to limit I'm going to limit your autonomy by not letting you fly this aircraft because I I think it's a bad idea even though you don't you've signed off your on yourself I, as the person who cares about your well-being, apparently more than you do, because I have twice as many years of experience or something, not flying planes, but just being alive, uh, I I won't give you the keys to this plane until you go take a flying class, right? Well, that's the question. Do you think the instructor should be allowed to take away the teenager's property? Should the instructor go, look, you haven't taken enough lessons from me. I am taking this plane away from you. You, you can't use your plane anymore. I mean, that's, yeah. that's basically theft, except if we're saying it's okay, then it's government-endorsed theft, right? Well, that's, that's not exactly where I was going. I'm, I'm taking a step back and saying, I'm not going to try and force the student to do anything. I'm just asking. Okay. As, as a general principle, who is the best person 
to decide if the student is ready. Is it the student or the instructor? And, and we can talk about the rest of it later, but just that central question, who is the best person? So I, I first of all, I don't think it matters again, as I was saying, but like in, in the case of who's the best person, I do think the student knows their own flying ability better than anyone else. Like maybe they really can fly. I will grant you they know their If the student is willing to risk his... Well, no, I don't think that. If the student is willing to risk his own life... If you're... Well, two things. One, the student... What is it? Dunning-Kruger effect? The student may say, oh, I played Flight Simulator for five hours last week. I know what to do. And they think they know best, but they don't have the information to know. And the instructor has the information. So I think, again, it's, it's objectively making that decision... The instructor knows better. I think if you are giving the instructor the ability to decide this or not, you are giving the instructor way too much power over the student's life. And I don't know why you would stop with airplanes in that case. Like you're just giving other people the ability to veto someone's own decisions for what seemed like arbitrary reasons. I, well, let's 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 back up a bit again before we talk about vetoing and, and restricting. Can we agree? Mm-hmm. And maybe we won't, but can we agree that the absent any other later happenings, the instructor objectively is better able to decide when a student is ready to safely fly a plane than the student himself or herself is. And we can move from there. And I don't know what the answer is. Are you talking? Okay. Are you talking about like with them going up together and having lessons together in the air and the instructor evaluating the student's abilities and all that? Yes. Okay. And has the instructor watched the student land or has the student had to give over the controls to the instructor to let them land after this uh, evaluation period was done? Um, for starters, let's say they've only had one lesson and they learned how to, how to bank and do coordinated turns or whatever. So the student had to give the controls over to the instructor to let the instructor land the plane? Yes. At the end of the lesson. Okay. Well, in that case, I believe the student would know that they are unable to land the plane. You would think that in a rational adult, Yes. Mm-hmm. And and in a student, you would think that someone riding know. a car knows that it's a bad idea, but they do it anyway. <laughs> well, I yeah. Mean, if my parents had judging, stopped me, I would have said, "Mom and Dad, I know what I'm doing. I'm being careful." Like judging purely by consequences, you had a great time and you didn't get hurt, right? Uh, yes, but we can't we can't generalize from from my happy path. Some versions of Stephen in the the multi branching tree of history got fucked. Right. Sure, but you were basically correct about your ability to not die after car surfing. Eh, I mean, I still think. I, I mean, I agree. It was a stupid fucking idea. I wouldn't have done that because there's always a small risk, and I'm risk averse. But you said I can do this, and it turned out, in fact, that you could do this. There are. I I, I think it's more that I got lucky. Yes. I I wonder uh, just to like so the, the plane analogy. I do like it a lot, but just to make it more concrete, like you know if if we all had to pass driver's tests to be able to drive in the United States legally. Like Inyash is, is, is what you're advocating for saying that no, the person who's taking the driving test, not the person administering it knows whether they passed or failed. No, the person administering it knows whether or not they, they passed or failed and they decide whether they get the license or not. Right. But are you saying that it should be the other way that like, no, the person who's driving, they know if they, if they know how to drive. No, I, I'm saying he, if you're getting licensed for something, obviously the licensor is the one that gives you the license. Uh, uh, sense about licensing aside, like just just the assessment of ability, like you know, it, it it seems to be that you're saying that no, no. If the person feels really confident that they know how to drive, they should just be allowed to. 
I don't think they necessarily they should be allowed to in the sense that society in general like gives them the license and okays it or whatever. But yeah, a lot of people learn to drive, uh, especially in rural areas, way before they're legally allowed to drive. And they drive when they need to, to help out the family or to run to the store and get groceries or whatever, because they know how, despite what the government says. Well, in those cases, they might be capable of judging if they have all the information and all the experience and they're driving in relatively rural places where the traffic laws and and all the dangers are reduced. Yeah, I think in an ideal world, you would allow them to get a license so they can drive legally. Now, there's all sorts of practicalities and complications where you start doing that. But yeah, in an ideal world, I agree with you. But if a kid walks in and says, I want a license, and you say, are you ready? And they say, yes. And you say, okay, okay, here's your license because I trust you to, to be the judge of how well you drive. I don't think that's going to end well. No, the point of a license is sort of a trust mechanism so other people will know that they can drive and that's why you need the test. Okay. If, if So what you're saying is, and, and I don't want to put words in your mouth, so I, I'm, I'm going to ask this that way. Are you saying that any person who is confident that they could drive should be able to drive? And for, again, licenses aside, if, if I had my own country and there were roads and, and there were... And, anybody could drive that I decided the law, the rule should be anyone who asks for a license gets one, no testing required. I just trust you. Is that, is that kind of where you're going? No, where I'm going with is if someone has their own car, they've invested a lot of resources into getting that car and they have their own body that's on the line as well. And so they have a lot of motivation to not crash their car and not hurt themselves. And so they're the generally the best able to decide whether or not they're willing and ready to take that sort of risk. And if they do take that risk and they're wrong, then there's often consequences. They lose the car. They have to uh, get a new one now. They may hurt themselves. If they hurt other people, then they're liable for making those people whole as much as is possible. And they may face jail time. Like there's, there's consequences to making wrong decisions like that. And uh, people face those consequences. And some of those consequences are hurting other people, number one. Number two, again, we we can disagree on this, but a significant portion of 14-year-olds are not nearly as rational as you are assuming they are, in in my opinion. Sure. And if they're of the less mature bent, then I think that a combination of their, like, their pure group, which would include adults in a more rational society where children aren't sequestered in these, you know, their own age only little child prison things, would they, the other adults around them would, first of all, give them a better idea of what their actual skills are and could help judge um, how ready they are for such things. Like, a lot of the problem is the fact that they are treated as, as children and kept sequestered in these little enclaves where they can't interact with the rest of adult society and be part of the human endeavor. Like, well, this this holding cell is a big part of the problem that makes it much harder to to tell what skills people have and to tell how mature they are. And I think a test is a stopgap solution because we're not going to be able to change everything about society and schooling and how we treat teens overnight. And testing is something that could help be a stepping stone on the path to that. 
uh, where you do test how well someone can drive, where you test how well they can reason about things, how well they can predict the consequences of their future actions. And ideally, in the future, we wouldn't need those tests anymore because we have a robust society around them that helps them become adults gradually. Uh, but until we get to that point, having incremental tests in various domains and giving more rights and responsibilities as they pass past those is one way to hopefully get there. Okay. I think first, as I mentioned before, I have not seen practical, effective, reliable tests like you're talking about. Second, just to, to back up a little bit, when you said if they had peers who included adults who could help guide them to, to make the right decisions and so forth, I think ideally those peers would be someone who has lived with that person and shared a house with them for the fast past 13 years and knows them really well and knows what their capabilities are. And that's apparent. I strongly disagree that parents can ever be considered peers in our current society. I'm saying you don't need uh, in an ideal society perfectly qualified for, for making those decisions and peer or not doesn't make you more or less qualified to make decisions. Sorry for interrupting. I disagree. I think Okay. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. And I disagree. I think that parents are in a unique position where they are stressed by society to become these sorts of I don't I don't want to cast this in too bad of a light where they are the sort of many I don't want to say tyrants or dictators or jailers or whatever, but they have this both control and assumed responsibility of the failures of someone's life and their choices for this period of time, which is both very stressful and creates a lot of bad incentives, even if they have the best of intentions. So I don't think in our society, parents could ever be considered peers. There's too much of a disconnect in in power and responsibility and ability even to be treated as a competent human. I agree that they are not peers. And I, I misspoke when I, when I included the peer part of your description. Um, I think we're just fundamentally, as a parent, I see parenting in a much more favorable light than, than you do. And until you have that experience, we won't know if that experience is the difference or there's just a fundamental disagreement on, on, on what's going on. So, right. I, you know, that's, that's your opinion. And this is my opinion based on my experience. And <laughs> I can't tell you you're wrong. Yeah. Uh, I know Stephen has a hard cutoff. Yes. Uh, so we, might want to start wrapping up. We can probably go a little after he's got. No, we can't because you're the one in charge of the recording. Uh, Stephen, do you have things you want to say to bring up that we haven't touched on? I mean, we have at least uh, 10 or 12 minutes left. Let me, or at least I do. Um, I, 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 I enjoyed following the conversation. I'm just trying to parse like a couple of, of key things. Like I, I, I agree that, uh, you know, parents have incentives, both perverse and good. Um, and, and like the best of intentions to uh, make determinations about somebody about their children that may or may not be right. You know, like uh, if you really are a, a nervous person and you're like, no, actually, I don't think you're ready to drive, even though the child, the, excuse me, the young adult thinks they are and the state would agree. But you as the parent, one of the ultimate authorities say, no, I don't think you're ready because deep down you're nervous that they'll get to an accident or something. You know, those things can happen. I, you know, in the, one of the follow-up episodes, I had said something along the lines of like, I feel like 90% of the problems here boil down to bad school and bad parents. Um, and that there's no way to like, uh, legislate better parenting. So then the, then the one sentence response was like, well, no, you just make it easier for the child to get by without them. And I, I can follow that. Um, I, I guess there was other, 
we hadn't talked about like discipline or ways to, uh, depending on your fr- your frame of reference, encourage or coerce children or young adults into doing the right thing, the best thing for them. Um, I'm kind of curious on on both your guys' thoughts on that. I think I know Inyash. Well, I do know Inyash is. So I'm really asking you, Velcro. Like, you know, in the idea of oh no, well, well children can't own property. Which again, I still don't. I, I feel like a lot of this was like weird strawmanning stuff because I bought things with my own money that I earned, earning a paycheck at fourteen. But your parents could take it away if they wanted to. I there suppose. would be no legal repercussions for them taking away what you bought with your money that you earned. Okay, I, that that might I that's probably true. Um, that would be a harder quick Google, but uh, let's let's assume that's true. I I yeah. Um, I think that's wrong, and I I agree with you there. So I mean that that's taking away the stuff that you know the the young person bought themselves, but mm-hmm. um, you know like if I uh, if I was raising and stewarding a child through uh, its youth into adulthood, and at fifteen it, I was told no no I I want to drop out of school and and uh, play video games for the rest of my life, and I was like well you can't because I'm taking away your PlayStation that I bought for you. I think Inya should object to that, and I don't know that that's necessarily the I, I guess I, I toss that out to both of you. It, it, would that be an acceptable thing to do under either of you guys' frameworks? So under mine, like, it depends on how extreme the thing is. In general, I think taking back a gift that you gave to someone is just, I don't know. It, it's, it's like a kind of a borderline thing, but in general, it's not something that's considered acceptable. Once you give a gift, it's considered their property. Um, I could certainly see a parent doing that if a kid dropped out of school and then like a kid going and buying their own playstation in which case no the parent shouldn't be able to take it away but also at that point the kid has earned their own money to uh to buy their own playstation and maybe will now start have to earning their own money so they can buy their own food and pay for their own housing because if that's one they want to do with their life they're free to do that with their life as long as they can you know actually do it with their life I guess my thinking is that, like, you know, as the parent, you really care about how the kid turns out, and you believe with very good evidence and and good reasoning that the 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 young person apparently is completely just not tuned into yet. That if they drop out of high school to play video games, that they're going to be fucked for life. Can I hold on a sec? I want to ask you about this drop out of high school to play video games thing because um, I know a lot of adults and. a, a not insignificant percentage of them spend their life uh, playing video games, watching TV, going to movies, reading books. Basically, they they're doing exactly what we said. They dropped out of their they dropped out of whatever in order to play video games and watch movies, and that's their life. And they go to work so that they can afford their house and their food, and maybe if they have kids to raise their kids. But but that's literally what they're doing, except for the dropping out of high school part. Are you saying they should be forced to do something more, I don't know, important and significant with their lives? Is it not okay that they're spending, wasting their lives playing video games and watching movies? I'm really glad you you clarified that because uh, I'm absolutely not saying that. Um, You're you're talking to somebody who spends two hours a day watching reruns of, you know, uh, (laughs) random pointless TV shows. Like, uh, I I think that as as the, the parent, you know, stewarding their child through young adulthood, um, you want to inc- you want you want to enforce that they they leave doors open for themselves. Exactly. You know, so like so like your your uh your adults who your your adult friends who have consented to say no, nope, I'm going to spend all my free time 
playing video games and watching movies like, you know, or watching TV shows like I do. Um, if I had been able to start doing that 20 years earlier, I wouldn't have finished an education. I wouldn't have had a, a, a decent job and my life prospects would have been worse. You know, I wouldn't be saving for retirement. I'd basically be, you know, have fucked myself. But I disagree. But, yeah. I mean, taking just your life as an example, I disagree because you did not need a high school education to get a, uh, you did not need a high school diploma, sorry, to get a job, uh, get into that coding bootcamp. And the coding bootcamp is basically what finances your life right now, right? Yes. I, I, I think that like part you of this could have dropped out of high school and then joined the coding bootcamp and have the life you have right now. Well, and this, this actually does tie into the other main point. So I once again, appreciate that you reminded me of it, that it currently is the system to where if I'm looking at applicants for whether to attend my bootcamp or to hire at my, at my company and one hasn't passed high school and one has, I'm going to be biased towards the one that has passed high school. And so as long as that's, as long as that's the I, system. I have never since I got out of my teens put my high school on my resume. Like, no, I, my employer might not know that I graduated high school. And they know that I didn't graduate a college because that's explicitly on my resume. Did you go so, to uh, college? You know. There's some college on your resume? I did go to a college for... Yeah, I did go to college for a year when then, then I dropped out. graduated high school. So then and not necessarily. You could have gotten a GED. Uh, you could have tested... GED, uh, GED, I'm, I'm using those, no pun intended, sorry, uh, equivalently to high school. So, But with your employer, by seeing that oh, you had your first semester of college, and if you had no college, they, it's quite possible they would have said, well, do you at least have high school or GED? And if you said no, they might have said, okay, thank you. I, I don't know. I, I assume you, I don't know. I, I thought you could get into a college without having a GED or, or degree, but maybe well, I'm wrong about that. I, I think so, but I, I don't have firm evidence of that. I, I know when my kids applied to college. Well, I think as long as you score, they, yeah, I think as long as you score well enough on some sort of like SAT or similar test. I, I, I think don't. that like what, what, what does show up on your resume and thus impacts your life prospects is, you know, when you're, when you're 19, you put what high school you went to, right? Um, just cause you're told as a 19 year old who doesn't know any better, put your education section on the education of your, or the, your, your education under the education section of your resume. So you're just like, well, I went to school. Um, and as, as a parent who knows that that's how the system works, you want to prime your, your child to be in a good spot to where if they want to, they can pursue higher education with as little resistance as possible. Now, like problems with the edu- education system aside, uh, that, that is where like, that's just the way the world is. So it's like, well, as long as the world is this way, me as the parent who cares about the kid is incentivized to keep them in school so that they have life prospects. But you aren't even necessarily incentivized. I mean, yes, as parents are incentivized, but like, as we just said, you can drop out of school, play video games, realize it sucks, and then get a GED, take the test, prove that you know the stuff, and then you have saved all that time and misery of being in high school and you can still go to college. Like these are not irrecoverable errors. No, but they no, are. I think that obstacles. I think that for a yeah, student, sure. there are lots of there are lots of scholarships available for people that you apply to in your senior year of high school, and you say, "Well, no, I'm 22." They don't. That's not wise, in my opinion. But there's just lots of things that you can miss the opportunity. I, I mean, I agree that there are obstacles. There's lots of things in life that create obstacles, and sometimes you create obstacles for yourself uh, during the learning process. And I understand parents wanting to remove those obstacles, but I also want to point out that the 
I mean, just taking myself and a number of people that I know, the mental health effects of continuing to go to this basically kind of prison area, uh, those are major obstacles too. Like the amount of work and the amount of life effects that major depression and neurosis had on me was a heck of an obstacle, which I would have not minded avoiding by having the different obstacle of needing to get a GED instead. In, in that situation, I think a quote, good parent, and I don't mean to judge your parents in any way, um, a good parent ideally would recognize that the damage being done by high school to you is sufficient that you should just get a GED, but you should get a GED. Right. I mean, in general, people in general, people don't notice that. And my parents, you know, were good parents. They they sent me to a psychologist. They got me on antidepressants. They were they did the things that society says you should do, and they did the best they could. But um, I, I think it was still a much worse solution than the thing I am proposing, where people are treated more like uh, humans with rights and dignities and responsibility, uh, and allowed to make their own choices and and their own failures. I, I agree that things should move in that direction. I think, I, I, not to repeat myself, the disagreement is on that as an absolute statement that the best choice is 100% always by the teen and never by the parent. And maybe I'm over, overstating your point, but that's that's what I'm pushing back against. And, and you're also, um, I mean, I know the emphasis right now is on good parents because you mostly know good parents and consider yourself one, probably rightly so. But I, I do want to um, mention again the fact that there are, in fact, a lot of parents who are sub-mediocre and that a lot of children are harmed by those and this would help all of them. I, I guess sub-mediocre is a, I didn't want to overstate how, how cruddy it can be to have parents that just don't care or that are actively harmful. I, I agree with that. And and not to get into a... a uh sore subject, but before we could really address the problem, we might want to know the scale of the problem. And if the bad problem parents are 30%, yeah, we got to change something right now. If they're 2%, I don't, you know, let's start thinking about alternatives, but until we have something that we know is going to be better, let's kind of keep where we're going and maybe provide parent training. I, I, I don't know. I agree that the scale matters, but I think that the solution would make things better for everybody by a large degree so that um, it, it it should be implemented regardless because the status quo is not good enough for almost everybody. I, I think... I would love to be able to run the experiment. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I, I, I think the harm is being done to students who have, again, for lack of a better term, bad parents. Um, the benefit is for or not students, uh, teens. And the benefit is for teens who uh, are doing dangerous, risky, option-closing things that have good parents who society allows them to strongly influence their, their teens. And if you say, nope, can't influence your teens because the teens know best, a lot more people are going to be, and I'm, I'm overusing this and I apologize, riding on top of their cars because nobody's pushing back. I yeah, no, I mean, I, I, I disagree in large part because I think when people are treated as adults and can make their own lives, they will do those things much less because they will have actually important things in their lives that matter to care I, about. I think see, we, this we is the experiment I'd love to see run. I would, I would love to see a society 30 years out where we say, okay, at 13, 
you can become an, uh, an independent adult if you want with all the responsibilities and rights therein. Um, and then at a counterfactual society where we didn't do that, I would, I guess, uh, don't put me in charge of running simulations of human history. Because uh, <laughs> I, I, I might emulate a terrible world. One, one of these sounds like it could go badly, right? And one's the one that well, we're in. I feel like the one that we're in is the one that has gone badly. This is the crappy simulation, and I want out of it. It has gone badly. I guess and I'm I saying I, say, I, I would say that I've screwed up my kids undoubtedly. But I think that had I not, had I just said, "All right, kids, do whatever you want. I'm gonna go out and mow the lawn." That's gonna be worse. And not only that, but. I don't know. Did you read? Um, oh, what was it? Randy, the 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 uh, the Carnegie Mellon guy, the last lecture. Did you see that? I don't think so. Okay, I'll try. And, I can send you the the, the link. But basically, he had a football coach who was really down on him and was always criticizing, him, was always telling him what to do. And the coach finally said, "Do you know why I tell you what to do? Because I care about you. If I didn't care about you, hmm. I'd leave you alone." So that's another reason I think why parents. My my wife is a school social worker, and she has said that the parent, the kids who do the worst, are the ones who have parents that don't say, "I care about you, so I'm going to guide you." Again, as good parents do. And yeah, neglect is certainly parents. bad, but neglect is certainly bad. But I'm not advocating for neglect. I'm advocating for allowing people to be their own people, and okay. when they come to you with, you know, you guide them all the way up until their teenage years in the way that we currently do. And then after that, like continue to guide and give advice and interact with them, but don't keep treating them like be- you did before puberty, which a lot of most people do. I, I would agree. They with continue that. to control their children. As, as I said in the beginning, I agree that parents should give as much autonomy as is practical. But again, repeating myself, I think the parents, the instructor should decide when it is when the, the student is ready to get that right and responsibility. So coming back to that. I think the same way that if you are unhappy with your uh, flight instructor and believe that he is, you know, keeping you back for no good reason, you have the option to go to a different flight instructor Agreed. and be like, Hey, can I test with you and see, yeah. And see that prove that I actually can fly and I should get my license. I do. Uh, children don't have that option. Um, That's something I could totally get behind. Uh, I could get behind basically that too. caveat free. I, you know, it it's different than saying, well, you know, the kid feels really strongly that they know how to drive, so we should just let them. Instead, saying, no, no, look, their 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 instructor that they have here sucks. Let them go test with somebody else. Yep, I, I I'm a big fan of having that. Um, you know, I mean, that's a lot of what the teens 2.0 testing uh, advocation is is. It's basically like, here's the test. If you disagree. With your parents, you can take it and show that you do deserve these rights. Except not to be dismissive, I, I and I apologize, but the first word that comes to my mind when I think about those tests is vaporware. If you can show me practical, efficient, reliable tests that do any of these things, I would be a long way towards agreeing that, that a testing method is the way to go. But I haven't seen anything yet. Yeah, it's kind of like why they require a practicum to get your driver's license. Yeah, yeah. In, in, and even in, practical- at least in Colorado, there's a written portion and, and a practical portion. Yeah. And if all the government could do was the written portion, they don't know if I know how to drive. Right. Right. Well, you're, you're right that I haven't seen those tests. And that would be 
a very important part of it. Um, maybe they already exist. Maybe a lot of work needs to be done. Could like be. right now, I'm just an accountant and a podcaster. But maybe if <laughs> maybe I later. sink years of effort into this, this will be a thing that I can help contribute to. I will I say think- that the, the, the link in that went around last time we talked about this on the Discord about like the adulthood test or whatever that this that was on this guy's website. That thing was mm-hmm. utter shit. <laughs> Did you take? Were that? you not? Were you not able to score at least fifty percent on that thing? <laughs> no, I nailed it. But that's not the point. Okay, the well, point is, is then, so you're an adult, is what you're telling me. But the questions well, were absurd, an and, an and they were like highly specific. Yeah, like yeah. I, I mean, the, it, it was uh, a lot of contestable questions. Um, a lot of like super culturally specific ones to like uh pre-boomers um like it was it was insane and, you know yeah. so like that I mean, that, the, that, the, that is an example of an awful test and if that was the one that he proposed which it was the one from i think his website like don't get wrong a, a, a good test could be the solution here but that test was not it the individual tests can change and you know the 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 question isn't whether you can get the answer that is quote unquote correct. It's just whether you can score as well or equal to uh, at least fifty percent of people who are over the age of eighteen. Okay. Which, if those are absurd, silly, easy questions, you know, probably should be able to. I don't know. We the test itself, I'm sure, it needs tweaking. I, I would do a, if it, if we could completely annihilate the original test and just do a better one. I'd be much favor of that than trying to just fix this one. <laughs> Okay, but, but point taken. I see what you're saying. I like that a lot. Um, I think that uh, I, I'm about out of time. I'm sorry to kind of call it. Um, uh, Velcro, was there anything else, else you wanted to say about um, you know because you're you're the one with insight and uh, you know on the one hand this is a great uh, conversation to have between Inyash who you know doesn't have kids and doesn't want kids and you who has and wanted kids mm-hmm. because this is the kind of two angles to view this from, right? Then, of course, well, the, the next time we talk about this, we'll have to get some 14-year-olds on here and see if we can get them yeah. to stop playing Fortnite and uh, smoking <laughs> club cigarettes long enough to talk with us about it. But um, I think that's a really good idea. But I also do want to point out that one of the reasons I don't want to have kids is because of the way things are and how you know I experience society and mental health growing up, and I just would not want to inflict that on another being. So, you know, maybe I would want kids if some of these things eventually got resolved. I don't know. Hmm. I, I, I mean, there's a lot of reasons people do or don't want kids, and that's not all of them, but that's certainly a factor. That's perfectly reasonable. Um, as- uh, Stephen, I know you got to go. Maybe do we want to do our wrap up with me and Velcro like in a uh, different recording after this so you can go and. Yeah, if that works for you guys, you can send them another link for anything else. Um, yeah, uh, to our listening audience with bated breath. I didn't know what I didn't know we'd be starting at one today instead of noon, so I booked a hair, haircut for three thirty, and it is three nineteen right now. So I got to get out the door. Um, but anyway, this was great, Velcro. I appreciate it. And Inyash, I'm sorry, I meant to kind of more play moderator and like ride the middle, and instead yeah. I just dogpiled, and I was much more, I think, like <laughs> less charitable and more uh, like steadfast than Velcro was, and. Uh, he was supposed to be playing the other side of the fence and I was supposed to be playing the middle. So, uh, yeah, this worked well. I, I don't mind at all. Okay. As long as everyone had fun. So I enjoy rigorous challenges. Well, Same grand. Here. In and that I'm case, sorry if I, didn't I will, uh, give you, sorry, Stephen, if I didn't give you a lot of chance to talk. No, no, you did great. I, um, I, you know, there's also just the audio latency that we kept interrupting each other, but, uh, that's not, no, no, I, I talked as much as I wanted to. I enjoyed listening. So, All right, guys, I got to run. I will catch you later. And thanks again for coming on. And everyone else can do the proper sign off. Don't forget to thank our our patron, Inyash. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'll do that, too.
Alrighty. Okay, uh, so I guess we are just wrapping up here since Steven is out the door. Uh, Velcro, is there uh, anything, any final things you wanted to say, things we didn't touch on, uh, things you wanted to add to that we skipped over? Um, there are a couple things from the, the Teens 2.0 that I found, like I mentioned, that, that might be uh, a little better information, but I'm happy to just send you a, a, a link. I could put it in the subreddit or something. We don't need to to take up time right now it's up to you if you if you want to touch on them uh i i've got some time still uh if you i need to go then that's totally understandable and we'll do the link instead yeah i i think i'd, I'd rather uh, just put the link in if that's okay um okay but, but i did yep, wanna, no problem at all i did want to just thank you for giving me the opportunity to come on here i've always listened and and talked back to the uh to the radio in my car and uh this gave me an opportunity <laughs> to, to, to do it live so i, I do appreciate it Oh, fantastic. I was very glad to have you on. And this was an interesting conversation. Yes. And I know that you prefer the subreddit. So we are going to um, actually try to stress the subreddit this time. If you want to interact with Velcro and talk back to him, uh, do it on the subreddit, which is, uh, gosh, I haven't been there in a while. It's the Bayesian Conspiracy, right? Uh, yes, it's uh, reddit.com slash r slash the Bayesian Conspiracy. Yep, yeah, and there's a link at the top of the uh, the podcast page. Yes, there's a link at the top of the podcast page, and uh, there will be a link at the show notes too, specifically. I think there usually is, but I could be wrong about that. But there definitely will be this time. Uh, Velcro much prefers the subreddit because it allows you to say more. It allows you to um, just interact in a more structured format and have a more permanent record out there, right? Is that? Am I getting all that right? Yeah, and I guess I, I find that I might be talking about something in Discord and somebody comes along and, and has something on a different topic, which is perfectly fine, but the interweaving of threads can can get difficult. Yes, it can. And lots of times on Discord, things get dropped just because they scroll off the top. And I mean, sometimes that happens on subreddits too, but less so. It's much easier to fork conversations on, on the subreddit. I agree. So thank you. Okay. Thank you. Uh, thank you for joining us. I think you said there was... Wait, was there one last thing or was that it? Nope, that was it. Okay. Well, in that case, uh, we will thank our patron, uh, in addition to thanking Velcro, because uh, it was great to have you on here and really appreciate it, uh, our patron for the week, which helped to bring Velcro to all of you and continue talking about this a bit more and, you know, helps keep the light on around here. We actually had our mixer go out this week, so uh, I'm going to be trying to fix that this week. And if I can't fix it before next show notes, we're going to be buying a new audio mixer, which is funded by uh, you guys. So thank you all for helping us keep going. And thank you specifically to, ooh, this looks like a Polish name. Uh, gosh, now I have to try to be semi-literate in Polish, which is very hard. Mikał Bartoszewskiewicz? Mikhail Bartoszewskiewicz? Maybe? <laughs> I'm really sorry. My Polish is so weak. I, uh, my parents tried to teach me how to read it, and I learned a little bit, but I never got too far into it because it wasn't all that useful in my real life. Uh, so thank you, Mikhail, for your support. You, you rock. Uh, you keep this place going. And you make us all feel like what we do matters, which is important. It is why, um, why I advocate for many of the things that I do. So thank you for that. Uh, Thank you also to Velcro, and we'll see everybody in two weeks. Thank you. Bye. Goodbye.